Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. The housing sector of the economy continues to struggle by virtually any measure. Prices of homes with government-backed mortgages fell by 5.9% in the second quarter from a year earlier, the biggest drop since 2009, and a 33% fall from its peak. New housing starts are well off this year, even from the anemic figures of last year. Millions of homes have been foreclosed on or in some form of foreclosure. Millions more are hopelessly delinquent, and some 13.3 million homeowners, more than one in five, are underwater. They owe more to the bank than the value of the home, an estimated $750 billion more than the homes are worth. When confronted with such problems, government's natural instinct is to come up with a solution. But various government programs rolled out to much fanfare over the last two administrations have largely failed or even done more harm than good. Because there's a growing consensus that unless housing is fixed, the economy won't fully recover, there's a new round of purported government interventions in the works. Everything from principal reductions to interest rate reductions to the government serving as a mass renter of foreclosed homes to try to stabilize the market. And there are litigation solutions all around, whether it's the 50-state action by the nation's attorneys general against the largest banks over flaws in the foreclosure process, or a new lawsuit by the federal government alleging that financial firms failed to properly disclose their risky loans before selling them to the presumed housing finance experts at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. With us today to discuss these fluid options is one of the sharpest observers of the U.S. housing finance market. Alex Pollack is a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute where he focuses on financial policies affecting the GSEs and the general banking system. He joined AEI after 35 years in the banking industry, including more than a dozen years as president and CEO of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Chicago. His scholarly works have been published by AEI, and his articles are widely published in the popular press. Welcome back, Alex, to ABI Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Sam. The um, Obama administration is believed to be entertaining a plan that would allow millions of homeowners with government-backed mortgages to refinance them at today's lower rates, roughly 4%, thus cutting mortgage bills right away and perhaps even stimulating other consumer spending. Proponents say this mass refinancing is the best stimulus because it doesn't add to the deficit while it reduces housing defaults, and it can be implemented without needing a gridlocked Congress to agree. So, Alex, first, what do you think of this sort of mass interest rate refinancing idea? It's an idea that bears thinking about, in my opinion. We have to remember, uh, in, in such a scheme, of course, that somebody saves money, namely the borrower, but when you reduce the interest rate, somebody else loses money, mainly the lender. So you're you're moving uh, a, a cost of paying interest uh, and changing changing it on the investor side or the lender side uh, into not uh, receiving the interest. 
this is a it's a general characteristic uh, when we're wallowing around in the wake of the bubble, which is where we are with the uh, with the uh, tremendous housing and housing finance bust and its implications still playing out that the you, there are vast negotiations and and lawsuits and strategies and politics that are all around deciding who is going to get to take the loss and this is a good example of that the losses are baked in the losses have economically speaking already happened some of them have been realized in the in the accounting books and in, and in the, and in cash transactions but many many uh, of the losses have not so now uh, we are talking about uh, just as happens in a in a bankruptcy process about how the losses are going to be distributed and, and who's going to get to take them. Uh, it's it's uh, in this context. I think it's quite interesting to note that in a regime of adjustable rate mortgages, uh, which characterizes many of the countries of the world. Uh, and uh, an, an interesting case is Great Britain, where the traditional British mortgage is a purely floating rate, that when you get into a housing deflation, the rate automatically falls because the base rates, like, uh, for example, Fed funds or euro dollars or treasuries, are all falling now, as we know, to extraordinarily low levels in mm -hmm. that kind of a system. The, the interest rate is automatically falling. The borrowers automatically are paying less, and thus you're generating household uh, more cash in the household, and the lender is getting to share in this housing deflation. Uh, an interesting thing is the, about the U.S. is the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, which we hear so much almost religious fervor about in many mm -hmm. discussions, is actually the cause of this problem. If you didn't have all these 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, we wouldn't have it. Wouldn't be so hard to get the interest rates to come down. Interesting. One of the uh, criticisms of the uh, interest rate. Uh finance program that we uh, that we just discussed is that it doesn't address the two main drivers of foreclosures the underwater home situation as well as the rising unemployment uh, that uh, people are dealing with they just simply don't have the income stream uh, uh, to make um, the higher payment and so for these critics the best option has always been, uh, a principal write-down, the logic being that uh, these write-downs can save the homeowner from defaulting on the loan, can save the lender um, from uh, losses associated with foreclosing on the home, get the, get the property back into the, uh, uh, the, 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 the lender making payments. Um, so what would the effect of a principal uh, write-down have, and, and what sort of distortionary effects are there to be considered? First of all, when people talk about a write-down, but the, the issue really isn't a write-down on the books of the lender. It's principal forgiveness. It's it's a, a an agreement between lender and borrower that they don't have to pay back uh, a certain amount of the principal. And back at the beginning of the crisis, uh, we even had an act of Congress uh, making such principal forgiveness not 
a taxable event for the borrower, which they otherwise would be, mm-hmm. a debt forgiveness being taxable income under normal right. circumstances. Uh, the idea is, the, the fundamental idea, which uh, uh, is right, is that you ought to be able to find a bargaining space where both parties are better off as compared to foreclosure, because foreclosure has a lot of deadweight cost mm-hmm. to it in process, in legal fees, in damage to the property, in, in deterioration or vandalism if the property stands vacant and so on and so forth. So you're trying to find a, uh, a point at which the lender is better off than foreclosing and the borrower is better off than foreclosing, uh, and then you you renegotiate uh, the principal a principal forgiveness, and life goes on. Uh, in terms of uh, the the general proposition, what you're saying is that the loans, uh, whatever you thought at the time they were contracted for, have to adjust in one way or another to the fact that you have much lower, as you said, one-third lower prices on the houses, so the asset value is much reduced, and lower incomes generally. So you have lower lower asset values, lower incomes, and uh, and you have to adjust somehow the outstanding uh, debt to, to recognize that reality, and then can you find this this bargaining place where both sides are better off. I think, uh, in in theory, uh, there's nothing wrong with that position, mm-hmm. uh, except you do have uh, what what uh, econo- economists would call an externality to deal with, and that is, or a, or a moral hazard. Mm-hmm. That is to say, as some people get these principal for such a principal forgiveness uh, agreements. What does that do to all the other loans which have not yet defaulted, uh, where the other people who have so far been paying say, "Well, what kind of a sucker am I? Right. All I have to all I have to do is default, uh, just like Joe, and then I then I only have to pay off eighty percent of my loan or or whatever it is." So all of these. Um, all of these approaches do have the moral hazard, or the or the what's the effect on on everybody else uh, problem, and it's uh, that problem is certainly real, and it's hard hard to know exactly what the magnitude of it would be, but it's uh, it's without question relevant. Uh, in principle, forgiveness. My approach uh, is that that one way you can um, make that more likely is if the loans are actually trading. So if you have a have a buyer of the loan at let's say seventy cents, now you have a thirty cent realized loss on the part of the original investor or lender. The loan is now in the hands of somebody with a basis of seventy cents. That somebody is much more able uh, to negotiate either a principal forgiveness or an interest rate reduction or both uh, with the borrower. In other words, you're starting, you, you get market transactions which make this more feasible. However, you, you, there you run up against the problem of uh, how uh, how 
good a market in the terms of the dis- of the uh, difference between the the bid prices for these trouble loans or the asking prices for them is, and it you know to have a market for example that sixty bid and eighty offered isn't really a market in it, and in these troubled situations you get into that that situation a lot of times where where people will 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 buy them. Uh, but not at prices that sellers are willing to accept, so you, you don't really have market-clearing transactions. So uh, to summarize the, the, this kind of approach, there's a, a good bit uh, in theory to be said for trying to facilitate uh, such transactions, but they do have uh, um, uh, real uh, problems in, uh, in in the overall effect to think about as well as practical problems in and how to actually get it done. Right. The uh, the concept, I guess, of government-driven principal write-downs or debt forgiveness uh, seems to be getting a little more attention because of their possible role uh, being played in the ongoing settlement negotiations between the banks and the 50 state attorneys general uh, investigating the foreclosure procedures. It's speculated, um, I think, that... Um, the proposed settlement terms might require or at least permit banks um, uh, to fund uh, principal uh, uh, write-downs. And uh, the latest, uh, these latest developments, um, uh, even suggesting that individual states may be able to direct the use of settlement funds you know, for this uh, purpose. Do you have any sense of where the... Uh, AG litigation is heading. The Washington Post uh, just recently uh, editorialized that it's about time to wrap this up and, and move on. Do you, do you have any sense of where this is going? Uh, I do not. I'm sure the negotiations will continue. It's another perfect example of, of moving the losses from, in this case, the borrowers uh, to the lenders. Uh, and I suppose it might happen. It reflects the fact that all of the service, the mortgage servicing systems, uh, which are being attacked here, were themselves uh, completely surprised and overwhelmed by the magnitude of the problems uh, of of the housing bust. And, uh, and so you you could imagine uh, such a settlement being made. And from the bank's point of view, of course. Uh, their problem is how do you make sure that that really limits their liability, which you could imagine being uh, indefinite in scope if this is merely the first of a series of such mm-hmm. of such actions. Also, there is the uh, there's the irony that most of the liabilities of the banks are guaranteed by the government. So that as you put these losses uh, into the banks. Um, Depending on how big they are, then then the government has to worry about the banks. Just right. uh, as interestingly, mm-hmm. in Europe right now, uh, with the um, uh, clear losses of again very huge losses, which are going to be entailed on on uh, various European countries' sovereign debt. The biggest problem is that if you Force the losses to be realized. They're in the banks, and so you're now you're now you're causing problems in the banking system, which mm-hmm. they're they're trying to avoid. Right. It all it all does come back to who takes the loss, as you as you pointed it out. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so how about how about the uh, uh, the course of action that says you know just uh, let the market uh, work its will, let the bottom finally be reached on its own. Um, is is doing nothing an option that uh, that the uh, housing finance market can afford? Doing nothing is a theory always put forward and never never practiced by governments in financial busts. Uh, the universal uh, reaction of governments to big busts is is to intervene. All parties, all governments, all times, every time. So that that uh, whatever one may think about that theory, it won't be practiced. Uh, of course, it won't be practiced because there's so much uncertainty about, well, how how bad could it really get, and could you get a, a spreading collapse? The, um, the thing you know uh, for sure uh, when we have a really big bust like this it is going to entail a lengthy period of difficult times. So now we have we have had in this country a manufacturing recovery in, in other parts and a certainly and a booming agricultural sector, for example, the other parts of the economy uh, growing but being dragged down by the ongoing uh, by the ongoing housing bust. A friend of mine recently wrote, uh, if you build uh, a five-year excess supply of houses, how long do you think it takes to work it off? Uh, one of these great who's buried in Grant's right. question. But think about it. Uh, only I think five years is too short, actually, as I was, was trying to say to myself, well, you had basically a seven-year in just incredible credit bubble in, in this country uh, in housing-related credit spurred on by the government uh, through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and through government policy. Seven years, and how long is, is the recovery going to take? And uh, my speculation is seven years, uh, which means through 2013, which just happens to be uh, the formula from the book of Genesis. <laughs> if you remember Pharaoh's dream of the seven fat cows and the seven lean cows, uh, which Joseph correctly interpreted to be seven good years and seven bad years. And I think for the for the huge American housing sector, uh, that uh, that forecast of an ancient authority is probably not too bad. That means another, you know, it means... 2013, and these difficult times, heavily marked by these negotiations with everybody trying to move the losses to somebody else. Okay, so the biblical solution. We'll wait, we'll wait that out. <laughs> that doesn't mean there won't be a lot of. There'll be all kinds of intervention and activity and deals and and agony in the time. But it's uh, in the housing sector, which is what's is now the anchor. Uh, it's it's going to go on, I think, for a while yet. Uh, ironically, if you think back to the beginning of this century, 2001-2002, we had a manufacturing industrial recession following the collapse of the immediately previous bubble, being the tech stock or dot-com mm -hmm. bubble. Right. And the answer uh, that was dreamed up to that recession was to have a housing boom. 
And you had the Federal Reserve, in my judgment, quite intentionally working to create a housing boom to offset the, the Industrial Recession. And, uh, of course, they did get a housing boom, and it got away right. into a gigantic bubble. And now, ironically, we have the flip side of that with with the industrial recovery, but the housing uh, agonizing uh, continuing right. problems. Right. right. Well, speaking of the uh, causes of the bubble, uh, you mentioned uh, Fannie and Freddie. Um, the uh, Federal Housing Finance Authority uh, recently filed a another lawsuit, this against uh, some 17 major financial companies for allegedly selling close to $200 billion uh, in uh, shoddy mortgages to Fannie and Freddie. Uh, without adequately disclosing uh, the risks. This is uh, your colleague, uh, Peter Wallison, has identified this as a delicious irony associated with the government's suit in the sense that um, Fannie and Freddie um, uh, bought the securities uh, because government policy yes. <laughs> uh, compelled them to. So my question is, are Fannie and Freddie just another victim of the housing meltdown or the cause of it? Is it plausible, in other words, that they were uh, unsophisticated buyers of these? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fannie and Freddie are certainly one of the important causes uh, of the bubbles. And, of course, people who are causes of things can also be sufferers. Uh, they... they uh, they were essential to the vast credit expansion uh, in housing, uh, which without which you you couldn't have had a bubble. Or you so uh, uh, now could they also do they also have a case uh, about it? Isn't really the quality of the mortgage? It, it it's whether uh, the mortgages met. Uh, the agreed upon criteria. So were the, were the representations and warranties uh, of the sellers to Fannie and Freddie uh, correct or not? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't know uh, the answer to that. Whether that can be sustained in a in a legal procedure or not. But of course, it's just another example of trying to move losses right. in this case right. from one. A uh, set of government entities, Fannie and Freddie, who are greatly criticized. We, we know the government has had to put in $160 billion to assure uh, the government, that is, you and me and the other taxpayers, uh, have had to put in $160 billion to shore them up. So now, from the regulator of Fannie and Freddie uh, point of view, well, maybe we could shift some of these losses again uh, over to the banks. Um, uh, through through this lawsuit, um, I suppose that might offset. Coming back to your first question, if you lower the interest rates or forgive the principal on loans, which Fannie and Freddie uh, are on the hook for, right. either because they own them or because, uh, in terms of the principal, they've guaranteed it, that creates more losses in Fannie and Freddie and ups the cost of the government bailout. Of Fannie and Freddie, mm-hmm. that would be one move. On the other hand, if they can uh, succeed in making the banks uh, uh, pay pay them more, you know, large amounts of money from this lawsuit, that would be an offsetting 
uh, balance uh, in in the Fannie and <laughs> in the Fannie and Freddie account. Those two ideas, in terms of the losses of Fannie and Freddie, uh, are clearly going in opposite directions. This is sounding more and more like bankruptcy litigation all the time. Doesn't it? No, I tell you, I think you can really not go wrong thinking of the <laughs> entire mortgage finance sector as in a giant Chapter 11 proceeding. Right. And and the question is, how are we, you know, how are we going to deal out these losses and, and uh, get all the parties to agree that's a, a, a fair settlement of who did who did what and who had what rights and, and therefore who takes how much of a hit? Right. I want to shift over briefly to housing tax policy because uh, recently you said something very uh, interesting about our uh, formally uh, inviolate idea of the uh, deductibility of uh, mortgage <laughs> interest. Um, yeah. U.S. spends an estimated $100 billion plus each year to subsidize home ownership through the mortgage interest deduction. Homeowners get favored treatment on capital gains from the sale of a primary residence. And again, until recently, uh, these policies were deemed untouchable. But the budget crisis, together with the housing meltdown, may be causing a reconsideration. Your research suggests that uh, subsidizing housing with tax breaks uh, may be uh, neither necessary or a particularly efficient condition for a healthy housing market. So the question is, should we begin to wean the public off this aspect of government financing of housing? And if so, how do we do it? I think it's a great long-term idea and a terrible short-term idea. In the short run, all, uh, well, always, uh, all kinds of advantages in taxes or all kinds of subsidies or all kinds of uh, favored uh, financing treatments uh, get incorporated in the price of the asset. So the price of houses is reflecting uh, all of these uh, tax advantages or government promotion of housing. Uh, It was probably a bad idea uh, in the long run. But since the last thing you want to do right now is create more downward pressure on house prices, it's probably in the short run something you don't want to do. And I guess for that reason, it's pretty unlikely. Mm -hmm. But as a a longer-term idea uh, out there, let's say, five, six, seven years from now to move uh, a system where uh, uh, there is less subsidy of housing and uh, and therefore less price distortion of the, of the price of the house uh, and the amount that needs to be financed. Also, remember, when house prices go up, the amount you got to borrow to buy your house also goes up. So that that makes the debt go up. Uh, That, I think, uh, virtually all economists would agree is a good long-run idea. But as I say, it's a very uh, bad short-run idea, Mm. uh, in my opinion. Now, another medium-term idea is we mm -hmm. need to get rid, not only uh, control Fannie and Freddie, but get rid of Fannie and Freddie as government entities. Right, right. Uh, there again, something you you would do. I have suggested a five a five year transition, which would take us now to 2016 or so before you'd finally complete that, uh, because where where we are now, still not through working the bust. 
you got to have an idea of where you want to get to, but you're not going to get there fast. Mm-hmm. What about a, a back to the tax deduction part? What about a, a maybe an intermediate step, which uh, provided the deduction or the, as they call it, the tax expenditure for paying down the mortgage rather than uh, for having a, a bigger mortgage that would might encourage people to deleverage. It could reduce the the, the loan portfolios of the banks and and generally uh, uh, push the bubble down that way. I think that would also be encouraging debt. That doesn't strike me as a better option. Uh, an interesting contrast is our neighbors in Canada mm-hmm. uh, who have uh, uh, come through the mortgage bust at least so far uh, in much better, much better shape than we have. And there uh, they do not uh, have uh, uh, deduct- deductibility of mortgage interest. Um, and at least there is an argument that, that therefore people want to, uh, all other things being equal, you tend more to, to pay down uh, the mortgage debt. And it isn't only a question, of course, of the original loan, but w- one of the important contributing factors to our, to our housing and, and uh, mortgage debt bubble was the remortgaging. Right, so the HELOCs. Unlike the old, well, both... Both refinancing first mortgages on a so-called cash-out basis, mm-hmm. where you keep increasing your loan mm-hmm. and extracting the equity which you had right. built up, which made a, a good bit of that equity was illusory. Of course, it was a bubble mm-hmm. price effect. But uh, and then if you take that money and spend it, uh, you, you no longer uh, have the equity. Uh, and also, second second mortgages is a great. Uh, it's a great quotation in my mind from the 1930s. The second lien is the bane of the own your own home program because the mm-hmm. government started running an own your own home program in 1922. It was a project of Herbert Hoover, who was then Secretary of Commerce, by the way. So second mortgage, so both re, both cash out refinancings and second mortgages, which run up the debt on the property and and stop. Uh, the owner from building equity. So unlike mm-hmm. the old, real old-fashioned guys like me right. or <laughs> our parents and grandparents who said right. the point of a mortgage is to pay it off. Get rid of it, right. Because right. the point is in the end you want to own this place. Right. We did the opposite. And we said, well, the point of the mortgage is to be increasing it all the time so your debt <laughs> is always rising. Uh, that was probably uh, an unwise social movement. Let me ask one last question. This is about the uh, the new Consumer Protection Agency um, because it uh, connects up with um, something else that you've recommended uh, over the years as, as something that would help homeowners, uh, particularly in the uh, the the closing uh, process. Mortgage information. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you've uh, you've identified that uh, among the scandals of the mortgage system. Uh, are the so-called disclosures that are so voluminous and complex that uh, they become uh, meaningless? Do you think? Do you see the new agency as um, advancing the prospects uh, for the kind of simple uh, mortgage disclosures that that you have long uh, uh, been the champion of? Uh, that is one thing that that they and I actually agree upon. Probably the only one. <laughs> uh, 
but I do think they uh, have taken seriously the idea of, of trying to get, people call them disclosures, but I like to call them key information. Uh, because it really should be providing the borrower something that causes an action to take place, an intellectual action to take place. And the action is underwriting yourself for the loan. You just shouldn't be asking the lender, would you make me this loan? You should be making a judgment for yourself. Does it make sense for me to to commit to this debt? Can I afford, and, and or am I willing to make the sacrifices it would require uh, to pay off this debt? And so we ought to be giving people the, the central information to help them uh, make that judgment. And I think we'll, uh, that's something which uh, stated abstractly, virtually everybody agrees with, including the new bureau and the right. Mm-hmm. But as they found out, uh, it's actually harder when it comes down to actually creating such a way to uh, 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 present information. It's harder to actually do it than it is you know, in particular, mm-hmm. in detail, in concrete, than it is to think about it in the abstract. But I'm quite sure it it can, in fact, be done. And with, with luck, maybe we'll get there. Well, they should take your one-page form and put their name on it. That's what I did. I, I I think that's a wonderful idea. <laughs> I'll recommend that. They do have an inbox over there. I'll recommend that. <laughs> well, Alex, I appreciate, uh, again, you uh, joining us and uh, hope we can visit again. We can spend hours on these questions, such as the nature of a problem that did not occur overnight and thus defies a quick fix. Uh, but we thank Alex Pollock uh, for joining us. Uh, thanks, Alex, for being with us again. Thanks for having me. And I should tell our listeners that you can uh, listen to or download more than 100 podcasts at our website, which is abi.org. And until next time, uh, then, this is ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano saying good day. Good day.